Last week, Matt did a wonderful job of uh, beginning a new sermon series on the book of James about the Christian ethics in James, and uh, he taught on a, a passage of scripture that's pretty difficult. He's actually teaching two of the ten sermons in this series, and I think I might have left him with the two most difficult uh, to deal with, and uh, he's, because last week, the opening of James says something that is so contrary to our human nature. I mean, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. And I thought Matt did a brilliant job, and uh, we had an audio problem, uh, and so we took audio off the video from the back, uh, and it's not very good, but I still posted it online because it was it, it just was important enough, I thought, uh, that people need to hear it. Now, here's the kind of the thing that... Uh, and this isn't a shot at Matt, but but maybe you, after you came out of that, even if you cried and everything, and I heard there were some tears, and even if you cried and, and you're like, oh, it's exactly what I needed to hear, you may have left with this question, well, what do I do with this? Because, like, consider it pure joy. It's not like, like okay, I'm, I guess this is really terrible, but I'm going to go... I'm going to go sit in my living room and consider it pure joy, you know? It's so bad that people are sick and dying and that, you know, my life is terrible and I don't have a job and everything's bad. I'm just going to sit here and consider it pure joy, man, you know? I mean, this is, yeah, I'm happy, good, good. Not even going to turn the TV on today. And, and, and I think that what we'll do today is going to, in some ways, it's going to connect to what Matt said last week and what the passage of Scripture, what James said to us uh, through God, uh, that, that we should consider our trials pure joy. But I think what we're going to get in the connection this week is what we ought to do until those trials work themselves out, until they're fixed, while we're considering it pure joy. Now, here's the... the just the thing that we need to kind of have out there before we start uh, uh, is that we're going to talk about religious expression this week. And Graham, Brandon, and I, that would be bass player, music guy right here, uh, and I, that's me, uh, went to San Jose last week. That's why we weren't here uh, for a Sharks game. We spent a ton of time in San Francisco, and we may have a picture of that. Uh, here, here we are. How do we look? Probably already saw it on Facebook, right? Because I post a lot of pictures, which Brandon and Graham were thankful for later, but not while we were doing the trip. Uh, I'm the picture guy. I'm like the grandma who's like, we got to get a picture. You know, I mean, I'm not going to remember it when I'm 70, so we might as well have a, If you don't have a picture, it didn't happen in my opinion. Anyway, uh, and, and, and while we were down there, uh, not intentionally, it's going to make us sound more spiritual uh, than, than we are. I hope we're pretty spiritual. But we actually experienced uh, some, some very wide religious expressions. And so in the course of last week, we were able to see three fairly different, pretty different uh, expressions of the Christian religion. On last Sunday, we had church here, and so we saw this expression, and you know what our church is like if you've been around, but I'll just I'll say that, that we take preaching the Bible seriously. A, a larger percentage of our uh, church service is devoted to teaching the Word than maybe some other churches. Uh, I, I've said this before, that, that when it comes to musical worship and us really engaging, I think we fall behind, and I think we need to, to learn to do better at 
it worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so there's your reminder that when we sing those songs, we really mean them. And it comes from a place of like, I'm getting into it. Uh, we have a, a church where a part of our religious expression is connection, a word we talk about a lot. And that's one of the better parts of our church is you show up and like you like each other and I can't do the shake hands when we leave thing because nobody leaves. And it's like, I care about you and I love you and I have been praying for you. And, and so, and this is, and I love this religious expression, the one that I'm most used to and that, that I give my life to each week. Uh, and so we saw this and then uh, we went to this very expensive breakfast place. Uh, this makes it sound like hypocritical. When I get to the end of the sermon, this is going to sound worse than the beginning, so go back and listen to it again. But uh, So we went to this, this breakfast place, and we had tried to go to the best-rated breakfast place in San Francisco, but there was a huge line. And so we drove into the worst part of town because Graham had discovered on Google that there was this other highly-rated place in the Tenderloin. It's a bad scary kind of place. Uh, but this is where this very good, expensive breakfast place is, and there's huge lines. So now we're standing outside fearing for our lives uh, as we wait for breakfast instead of over in tourist town uh, waiting in line. But we're standing outside for like an hour waiting to get into this breakfast place. And it, it, we had walked into uh, just a place where the alleyway that we stood in smelled like urine. Uh, and while we were waiting in line for this very expensive breakfast. Uh, and as we're standing there, we look down the road and... This group of people come up, they're young, uh, they may have been high school kids with a couple of uh, more middle-aged looking people, and they hand food to some of the people that were standing there. And, and I don't know, we don't know, we didn't go up to them, we didn't ask, but we were just assuming they were Christians, which says something about the Christian faith, even in America today where, where the church has a lot of problems. It says something that we just went, those are probably Christians. Uh, and, and even if they weren't Christians, we had driven past, I didn't even mention this to these guys we were driving, on the way there we had driven past a church that's actually famous for their outreach to the hurting and the broken and those with AIDS and, and the suffering and the struggling. Uh, and, and so we saw just this other form of religious expression. On the way back, we stopped. Uh, and I want you to know that on Saturday night, we actually said, can we go to the Sharks game and make it back for church? That's how much we like our church. Just so you know, we talked about it. We would have got here like 1030 and it would have been halfway over. And so we decided against it. But we actually had a conversation about that, which means we like you. But instead, we stopped at a church on the way back which is huge and famous, and we sing their songs, and they write, in our opinion, at least Brandon and I, I'm not sure how Graham feels about it, the best new worship music that exists. I mean, stuff you hear on the radio. Uh, we actually found it funny because they have to put the CCLI number up on the screens at the end of the songs, and it's their own band, uh, which is just funny. It's like, I wrote this, you know, look at it. It's just funny. Uh, and so in that service, uh, there were 53 minutes of music, that was perfectly polished, except for an awkward 10 seconds where somebody forgot to start playing, which happens in our church too. And it was nice to see it happen at a church of 6,000. Uh, but like flawless, perfect music. And those people obviously have learned to, to engage in musical worship. I mean, some of those people had their hands up for 45 minutes and it just made me feel like I'm out of shape. Like I could get in for a couple minutes, you know, maybe, and my ting fingers are tingling. But these people like engaged from the very first minute 
And then the sermon happened, and it was obvious that they didn't really care about the Bible or what it said, to be honest with you. I mean, that's just as straightforward as I can say it without sounding any meaner. Uh, it was just like, yeah, and there's a sermon at the end in the Bible, you know, but and not even true things. He actually preached on the same passage of Scripture as Matt, and I sent Matt a text immediately. And Matt's our backup, and I was like, I guarantee, I hadn't even heard Matt's yet, that your sermon was better than the sermon I just heard. And it wasn't because of delivery. I don't fault people's delivery. I try to stay back because it's easy when you're a preacher to be like, ooh, I wouldn't have said that, you know, and I try not to do that, and I'm pretty good at not doing that. But it's like you're saying wrong things. Good one-liners, man, but not true. <laughs> like, yeah, anyway. so, uh, so we saw that expression where we saw the good and the bad all in that, and, and, and it was some really great parts, but some, the musical worship was incredible, and people were engaged, and you could tell that people really wanted to, to engage with God as they stood in his presence. And Christianity, pretty broad, And as Matt talked last week about considering it pure joy, if you're like, okay, I want to consider it pure joy, but where's like the spirituality of this? What should I do in the meantime? It's like, well, you should express your devotion to God. And you say, how? And I think all three of those things, except for false Bible teaching, were good. Uh, but, But like, what's the way that God like wants the most? What should it be like? What's the most important? What's the flawless, the pure form of Christian, the Christian religion? Now, if you're not a Christian, and I've set this up to get into this passage already, and I just, I want to say this. I want to say like, look, you can hold us to what I'm about to say. And a lot of times we get faulted for not living out what, we're, what I'm about to talk about, what James is about to say to us. And, and, and I want you to know that this is what it should be like. And a lot of times what happens is that you, non-Christian, looks at Christian and says, well, you just don't look any different. That's why we're doing this series. You don't look any different than the rest of the world. And what I want you to hear before I even start, before I launch into this, before we look at this passage, James 1, 19 is where we'll start. Before we look at it, what I want you to hear is that just because we don't look different always doesn't mean that our faith and what we have faith in is not calling us to be different. And and it's easy for you and for us even to look at the painting that is our life, if you'll stick with the metaphor, and, and to go, well, that doesn't look any different than other people's lives. And to say, well, I must reject the faith. But what we're doing in James is is we're looking and we're saying, okay, James is a book about Christian ethics and it calls the portrait of our lives to be different. It really gives us a model. It gives us the, the picture of what we're trying to paint, what we're trying to follow, what we're trying to look like so that our lives can be different because sometimes different is beautiful. And I believe when the Christian faith is lived out, it is more beautiful than anything else that the world can draw, that the world can show. And in this passage, we're going to see something that sometimes Christians just ignore, we neglect, we don't think about, we push it to the side, and I want you non-Christian to hear that you can hold us to it, but don't reject our faith because we don't live it out correctly. And here's what James begins with in James 1, 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, 
which can save you. Now, the, the first thing that you need to hear, and this is so common in the book of James, and I'll say this like a lot of weeks in this sermon series, is that James constantly refers to these people he's writing to in familial terms. He refers to them as brothers and sisters. He refers to them as though they are part of his family. And, and a big part, this is just a side note of kind of what James is doing here, is I think reminding these people that he's not speaking from a place of judgment or of anger or of frustration or of do it my way or of even leadership, but he's speaking from a place of a family member loving another family member. And when it comes to ethics, don't we feel like it always has to be opposite of that? Don't we sometimes just go like, if you're going to tell me how to live my life, then you're just a judgmental jerk, and I don't want to have anything to do with you, and I know what's best for me, and you don't have a clue what's really going on, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And James, maybe because of that throughout, is like, hey, brothers, here's what I want you to hear. My family, these people I care about, you are people I care about, and here is what I want you to hear. Take note of this, and then he says, this kind of odd thing that maybe seems to come out of nowhere. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I don't think he's actually talking about speaking or not speaking and listening and not listening in like the physical sense. I think that contextually we see here that James is actually con continuing, that's the word I'm looking for, continuing of the same type of thinking that he has already had, this thinking that is connected to how do I deal with the difficult things in my life? What am I supposed to do when bad stuff happens? I'm, I'm sure, yeah, consider it pure joy, I get that. But what am I supposed to do? And James begins by saying, be slow to speak, and I think at the heart of it is this, be slow to act. Now, I don't know if you're like me. Some people are not like me. Some people process before they do things. Some people think, and they plan, and they like, hey, maybe I should take a minute. I'm not that way. I see a situation. I want to deal with the situation. I want to react. I want to take care of it. Uh, I've said this before, that, that in, in my marriage, uh, uh, it's a little backwards from how you normally see gender when we have a disagreement. I'm the guy, I'm the person in my marriage who's like, let's just talk about it and be done with it so that I can move on to whatever I'm moving on to. Where Bryn's like, can I just think about it for a second? I'll be like this, what do you think? And she'll be like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, come on. And it's like been zero seconds, right? Zero seconds because I just want to deal with things. And I think that we're trained as humans, no matter what side of that we fall on, when something bad comes into our lives, when something difficult happens, we just want to fix it. We want to do something. We want to take care of it. We want to solve the problem that we're facing. And I think it, at the heart of what James is saying is like, be slow to act, but quick to listen, quick to figure out what God would say about the situation, quick to open the Bible, quick to pray about it, quick to ask God what he would have you do, quick to try to seek godly wisdom, quick to try to get the answer that God would give you if he was sitting right in front of you. I think what James is saying to us is when bad things happen, be slow to react 
and quick to seek the wisdom, the will, the ways of God. That's difficult because we just want to do something. I don't have enough money in the bank. Let me, I got to get money in the bank. I'm having a problem with one of my children. I got to fix it. I got to help them do the right thing. I'm sick. I need to pick a decision about what my doctor's going to do and how I'm going to seek medical care. Right now, I got to do something. I got to do something. And James is saying, like, pause. Just pause and listen. Listen for the voice of God. And then he says, be slow to anger. And I think that's anger directed at God. And that's also a normal kind of human reaction, right? I mean, we're like, God, how dare you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? I can't believe you did this to me. We just get angry with God. And James says that this anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And righteousness simply means the simplest way I can describe righteousness is a right relationship with God. That's something I talk about a lot in sermons. It just means being right with God. It's something that Jesus came to earth to die so that we could have a right relationship with God. And the way we get a right relationship with God is first accepting that gift of salvation. But on a day-to-day basis, we can hurt or alter or affect our relationship with God just as we can another human being. Not meaning that God will throw us out of a relationship with him, but meaning that we can hurt that relationship with God. I think about it like adoption. Like, let's say we're adopted, and and at that point of adoption, if we were adopted by good people, that parent, those parents are never going to just give us the boot. Like, oh, well, I adopted you, but now you're gone because you acted up today. But we can negatively affect our relationship with those parents by being disobedient, by being disrespectful, and things like that. And it's the same with God. He's not going to give us the boot but we can alter and affect and hurt and help our relationship with him based on how we act and based on how we think. And here James is saying, quite simply, when life is hard, be slow to react, quick to listen for what God would want you to have, and slow to become angry at him. And he continues, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. We already knew that, right? If you came into church today, even if it's the first time here, you already knew that, that the pastor probably thought and the Bible probably said that you should not do bad stuff. Uh, and most of us have a conscience that kind of tells us what those things are. And sometimes we try to push it down and we try to hurt it. But usually we know that we should be nice to people. We should love people. We should take care of people. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't say horrible things. We shouldn't... Uh, kill people, you know, I mean, like the the big and the small. We kind of have those things ingrained in us. And so James is saying, and sometimes, really, when life is hard, isn't, isn't it the case that we want to do things that normally we would say are not good? Don't you find that to be true? Well, like, I wouldn't steal, but my family needs food. I wouldn't tell this lie, but I kind of got myself in a predicament here, and I need to do something about it. I don't think most people, when they're young or even earlier in the week, wake up thinking like, I'm going to do something really bad this week, you know? It's like life becomes hard and we try to fix it because we're quick to react and slow to listen and we try to fix it and then we start doing things that are morally filthy, things that we never would have dreamt of doing. 
Most people that are in prison right now probably never said, my goal is to be in prison one day. And they never probably said, I really just want to be a bad guy. They were just trying to deal with the difficulties of life. Probably every drug addict that that is in this world today probably started because they were just trying to deal with the difficulties of life and they reacted and it made them feel better. James says this isn't right. Instead, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. When James says the word planted in you, he's talking about the gospel here. And he's going to flip and he's going to talk about the commands of God in a minute. But here he's simply talking about the gospel. And that the gospel is this, if you don't know, it's the story that the Bible teaches about how God came to reconcile himself to people. That, that people were created, they sinned, they did things God didn't like. And so God sent his son, a man named Jesus, and Jesus lived sinlessly and perfect on this earth. And at the end of his life, he died on a cross where he was spiritually rejected by his father in heaven had his back turned on him and and he did that so that if we accept his gift of salvation we might have forgiveness of sins he rose again on the third day thus conquering death and all who accept him get to go into heaven someday and, and live in a perfect eternity that's the gospel story and what James says and this is really cool and it's maybe backwards like consider it pure joys but like hey when life gets bad Don't be quick to react. Instead, be really quick to listen to what God might say to you. And oh, by the way, don't do bad stuff. Instead, pause and reflect on the love of God that is presented in the gospel. I just, I mean, for me, just this is good advice. I think it's good advice for everybody because it's in the Bible. But like, if I'm trying to pause when life is hard, I'm trying not to just react or overreact, as we sometimes call it. Maybe some of our reactions are just overreactions, you know? But, like, as I'm trying to figure it out and think about it, if I could just stop for a minute or even a week and go, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, God loves me so much that he sent his son then all of a sudden I think I'm, I'm moving towards a better place to make better decisions about how I'm supposed to react to this situation that is difficult. Because before we pause, and even if we pause, have you ever tried the count to 10 thing? My great grandma used to tell me to count to 10 when I'd get really angry. Have you ever tried that? It's like 10 seconds until I explode, you know? I mean, like, when I'm just counting, it's like, I, well, I'm just getting angrier, you know? I'm getting closer to being able to yell at you, and I'm going to count super-duper fast because I'm just mad. But if we can take our minds and focus them elsewhere on the gospel, doesn't that just help us to get some perspective? I mean, like, if you're a Christian, I have eternal life to look forward to. So the fact that I stubbed my toe just now is not that bad in the whole scheme of things. You know, the fact that that this one check might bounce is is bad, and I'm not discrediting it, but compared to the fact that I get to live in eternity, it's just not as bad. Not as bad. I mean, somebody yelled at me, and I'm feeling really down on myself, and I I feel low today, and it's really, I mean, life just, I I don't like myself very much. And I'm like, you know, but God died for me, and I get to go to heaven someday. It's not quite as bad then. And it helps give us some perspective. And then James continues. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently, notice the change in language right here, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So he continues the language of the word, but then he flips at the end there, you noticed it hopefully, and to the perfect law. And it's if James is connecting the gospel to whatever everything else that God says, all the commands, all of the scripture that we read about in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, the do's and the don'ts of God's word. And James says, look, as you're thinking about the gospel and you move into this area where you're quick to listen and you're quick to find out what God would have to say about a subject, Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Now, here's the thing about the gospel and every other part of the Bible. I think that this is really important because a lot of people in our world today, especially in the American church, are deceiving themselves into thinking that they are right with God, that they are Christians, that they have a relationship with God. And the way that they do it is by listening to the word of God, but not putting any of it into practice. I mean, there are people filled up, uh, filling up our churches all around this country that are like, look, I read my Bible. I go to church. I even listen to a sermon online sometimes and a little bit of Christian radio when I can tolerate it. You know, I mean, I, I have the word of God, but they've never given their lives to Jesus. And there's others of us who are Christians, and this is, I just see this and it blows me away. I just talked to my grandpa about this kind of in a side conversation the other day. Like, there are so many Christians who just act like, like I just, if I just knew what God wanted, and, and they already know. And, and but then they're like, I'll just I'll just read the Bible a lot. I'm you know, and and they think and they're deceiving themselves. Like, yeah, I'm really caring what God wants. I really care because look, I'm reading the Bible and I'm listening to that sermon. But they're not doing it. They're just ignoring it, and they're deceiving themselves. I think the greatest trick, if you want to feel good, like you either like you're a Christian or like you're a Christian who actually cares about God, the greatest thing you can do is just read your Bible more. Because that's like the fix. I mean, pastors always say it. Read your Bible more. You know, every youth pastor, that's probably the sermon this week. Like, read your Bible more. And so we, we have this culture in Christianity where you can just like, like, well, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying a lot. Sure, I'm disobeying everything it says. But man, that's the key, right? I'm reading the Bible a lot. I think reading the Bible is great. But if you don't put it into practice, it's just you're lying to yourself. And for some people, that means the gospel. You like need to accept the gospel and you need to give your life to Jesus. That's what it says. You just start, you're just reading it and you know about it and you feel good because you come to church and you sing about it and you're kind of connected to it in some way, but you've never like given yourself to Jesus. Said, Jesus, look, I believe that you died for my sins and I'm giving my life to you. I'm placing my faith in you. You can have all of me. I'm your disciple, your follower. I love you. You're just deceiving yourselves. And others of you who are Christians, I mean, this is what my grandpa's conversation, my grandpa and I's conversation was about. It's like this. Most people pretty much know what to do in a given situation. But a lot of times we get like philosophical, you know, and and we kind of play around with God's word. The Bible is not that complicated. 
And yet sometimes we're like, well, you know, I don't, I mean, they kind of deserved me doing that to them, you know? I mean, I'm not really sure. Does the Bible really say that? Does it really say that? You know, I mean, what? About, it could be a wrong translation. Like that That could have been a mistake. And, and this is the games we play with ourselves. And James is saying, don't just be a listener of the word of God. Be a doer of of the word of God. And then he gives this obscure mirror metaphor that nobody really knows what it's supposed to mean. Um, it, it would make more sense for him to say like, like that you don't look in the mirror or something, but nobody really knows what it means, but it kind of means this. If you're a person who reads the Bible and knows what God has said, but don't do it, it's just kind of stupid. That's kind of at the heart of this metaphor, no matter what kind of angle you take on it. Uh, But I'm going to try to recreate the metaphor right now. Let's say that, that we're trying to paint ourselves to stick with this. And we're trying to paint ourselves and we have access to a mirror. But we choose not to paint what we see in the mirror. And our job is to paint the picture of our lives. And we look at it and we just go... Yeah, no, I'm not going to, that's not what I'm going to do. It would be stupid, right? And I think that's kind of at the heart of James here. You have the word of God, you're, you're trying to listen to it, but you're not doing it, and it's absolutely pointless. It doesn't make any sense for you to, to, to have that attitude. I mean, in essence, what James is saying is, if you're not going to try to live out the word of God, then just ignore the word of God. Saves you some time. You can squeeze in another TV show at night, you know? I mean, like, it's just makes no sense. Say, this is what I'm supposed to look like. I'm going to look at that and see what I'm supposed to look like and what God wants for me, but I'm going to ignore it altogether. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not discrediting struggles, and when you're making an effort, I don't think James is saying... Hey, if you ever make a mistake, don't read the Bible. I think what James is saying is if you don't have the intent to live it out, then why read it? It's pointless. But then he says this thing. This is so good. This is so good. If you haven't listened to me yet, I'm just excited to tell you this this morning. This is really good. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the commands of God, the gospel, all the things that the Bible says, whoever looks at it and continues in it, Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Check this out. They will be blessed in what they do. You've been around me long. You know I love this word blessed. A lot of times we think of blessed as like happiness and feel good and life's always all right. And sometimes it actually gets translated as happy, which is terrible and stupid, but it's a different story. But, but this word blessed is a Greek word, makarios, that somebody has a tattoo of because of my sermon. And that's how important this word is, in my opinion. It's the word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. You may have heard that part of Jesus' teaching. And it's a Greek word that the Greeks used for happiness of the gods. It was a word that they used for their gods because they realized, this is real, they realized that their gods had unlimited resources, but also, this is the really cool part, unlimited ability to use those resources. It's like this, like if I brought you 30,000 brownies, you couldn't keep eating them. It would be impossible, right? Eventually you'd be like, I'm too full. 
But the Greek gods in their mind could just keep eating the 30,000 brownies and enjoying one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, because they're Greek gods, you know, and still look super buff after they were done, I'm sure. It wouldn't even be a thing. And the word, as, as time kind of morphed and, and morphed the word, as words will do, it, it became to be understood as a satisfaction that is not based on circumstances. If you're a note taker, that's something you should write down. Satisfaction that is not based on circumstances. Now here's, this is the really cool part in life. You can be so sad, not happy at all, and still be blessed according to this word. You see, we think a lot of times that, that circumstances dictate our happiness, and we're right when we think that. I mean, if somebody just comes up to you right now and says, I hate you, you're a stupid loser, knows how I'm looking up when I say this, I don't wanna make eye contact with anybody. You're a stupid loser and you're a jerk and I wish you didn't go to church with me and wham, I'm gonna punch you in the face. If you understood the word blessed wrong, you'd be like, well, the Bible says I should be happy and nobody would think you were smart, right? Because that doesn't make us happy, that makes us sad and we get sad when bad things happen and when we look at certain things in the world, we should be sad about them and that they exist and that they're there and when people that we know and love are sick, we should be sad and when they die, we should be sad. But this word is saying that despite sadness, Despite the trials, despite the hurt and the pain and the suffering that exists in the world, we can always be satisfied. We can always be satisfied. And the way that we do that, the way that we do that is that we put into practice the word of God. We don't just read it, but we say, I'm going to live out what God wants me to live out. I'm going to do my best to serve him and follow him and be obedient to him. And the promise here is not that your circumstances will be blessed. Notice that. It doesn't say if you put into practice the Bible, then you're going to get rich and you won't have any more money problems. It doesn't say that if you put into practice the word of God, then you will no longer have health problems. It doesn't say if you put into practice the word of God, then, then everybody's always going to be nice to you and you're gonna like your job better. It doesn't say that what you do will be blessed. You'll always be successful in everything. It says that if you will live out the word of God, even in the midst of trials, then you will have satisfaction. It doesn't fix the circumstances. It's not James' concern, really. It fixes what happens inside of you as you deal with those circumstances. I mean, let's just follow. Let's just track with James. Hey, slow down. Focus on the gospel for a little bit. Keep focusing on the gospel. And as you focus on the gospel, move into the commands of God and what he's called you to, to live like and to do and, and then put it into practice. And if you'll follow that kind of train right there and you'll just take that line, then what happens is that you are satisfied no matter how bad things get on the outside of you. And then he continues. Oh, no, no, nah. I'm just shooting from the hip today. This is kind of fun. I just looked at my notes, and it's like a whole different sermon going on. I'll, maybe I'll just preach the next one next week. It'll be like same thing over again. He continues, and this is what he says. Those who consider themselves religious 
and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now this comes right out of, do what God would have you do and you'll be blessed. And it's easy to jump right back into the same routines and say, okay, I'm going to, because this is what we know in American culture, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to sing the songs, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to do my devotions, and then everything is going to be okay inside of me. But listen, I mean, just, this is big difference. I mean, he says, look, okay, now you know that you're supposed to do what God wants you to do, but like, what's at the very heart of what God wants you to do? This isn't an all-encompassing passage. This is it. Once you do this, then you got everything covered. But like, what's at the very heart of what God wants from us as people? I mean, what is it? If I, I mean, I don't have time to read the whole Bible. What is it that I should be doing as I think about what God wants me to do and, and I have all this terrible stuff going on around me and the first thing he says is, keep a tight rein on your tongue. That's kind of crazy. Not what I would have expected. And it's not something I'm going to talk about today because James, uh, in a couple of chapters, is going to talk a lot about the tongue. And so I don't want to focus in on that here. I want to skip past it. But we'll talk all about the tongue, and I'm excited to do that because our, it just it, it, even in Christian circles, we just have, are talking worse and worse, and we're going to cover that. But this is the part I really, I really want to get to. Religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Check it out. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You want to know what to do when life is terrible and your circumstances suck? Find somebody that's vulnerable and hurting and doesn't have anybody to look out for them and help them. I mean, the, the widows and the orphans at this time in a very maternal world were the people who were most vulnerable. If, if the dad in a family died, then it was going to be very hard for the woman to be able to make the money to eat. It was going to be very hard for the woman to be able to survive and to take care of her kids. If the mom and dad died, there was no orphanage. We didn't have foster care set up. Uh, there was nothing for these kids. And James says, when, I mean, this is huge. This is huge. And I think it changes everything because our Christian culture now is just so like me focused that when bad things happen, they just get worse and worse in our heads and everything just seems so terrible. And James says, hey, okay, when bad things happen, pause, think about the gospel, see what God wants you to do and do it. And here's a little bit of a synopsis of what it's like to serve God. Find somebody that's struggling and help them then you will have satisfaction that is not based on external circumstances. I mean, what I think James is doing here is saying, oh, your life is terrible. Go find somebody and help them, and then you can be satisfied on your insides. And I mean, we know this to be true, right? Like sometimes we like to see people who are worse off than us. It makes us feel better, and I don't think that's exactly what James is saying, but it makes it very practical I mean, oh, you can't pay your, your bills this month? You're worried about the credit card payment? Take Saturday and go find somebody who can't afford to eat and feed them. Oh, you're worried because, because your parents or your kids, whichever way that goes, are not treating you how you'd like to be treated? 
Oh, go find a foster child and ask them about their relationship with, children, with their parents. No, don't. But go help them because they are worse than you. What, the, what James is saying is don't wallow in your stuff. Consider it pure joy and then go do something. And what you can do, and this is always at the heart of every command God makes, is love God and love others. And he's saying find the most vulnerable and love them. And then do your best to not be polluted by the world. Uh, we don't, you know, I mean, there, we have widows around us. We have kids without parents around us. But I don't think it's limited to this group. And you might, you might wake up on Saturday or next Saturday and go, man, there's trials in my life. I want to do the right thing. I want to live out the Christian faith. I want to express my religion in the best way possible. I don't know where to find anybody that's a widow or an orphan that, that needs help. I think that it really encompasses all groups that are underrepresented in a society. I think that you could find a way to help the hungry in third world countries. I think you could find ways to help the poor in the inner cities, the homeless right around us, the inadequately represented, as I said. I mean, you may even find ways to help those who are disenfranchised because they're ugly or they're dorky. Uh, you may find a way to help people who are handicapped and they struggle in that way. I mean, there are a lot of people, if you think about our world and the people that you encounter on a daily basis, that, that just society kind of kicks them to the curb. And sometimes, like I said, ugly and dorky. I mean, sometimes it's things that are just so stupid, but our society still does it. Just like, you're not one of us. You don't look like me. You're not into the same things. Kick you to the side. We've had lots of kids come through youth group who are just into different things, and, and automatically it's like they're rejected, like you're not one of us. And, and there's just so many people just right around us here in Wilsonville a city that would love to tell you that there's nothing really wrong. I mean, we got perfect little brick buildings and a slide in our library, but even right around us, there are just people upon people, persons upon persons that the society is just kicking to the side. And James is saying, when life gets tough, consider it pure joy. Focus on the gospel. Try to live out the word of God. And if you want a quick synopsis, love God and love others, especially those who are disenfranchised, who are hurting, who are struggling, who need someone to pick them up. I'm telling you, if your life is really bad right now and you're having trouble considering it pure joy, living out what Matt said last week, then take this week and go find somebody that needs you. And I think that you, that you will find that satisfaction will come. Not better circumstances, not all your bills magically paid, not new health, not a new body, but I do think that you will find internal satisfaction that is not based on external circumstances. I'm just going to say the line one more time. This sermon really has gone a different direction for sure. My conclusion doesn't make sense, but, but, but look, here it is. Ready? You have problems. I get that. Instead of sitting around and wallowing them, consider them pure joy because you know it's going to produce something in you. 
And the way that it's going to produce something in you is if you say, okay, I'm going to focus on the gospel that Jesus came and he died for me and he rose again so that I might have eternal life. And, and some of you, you can pause right there and you're not a Christian and none of the rest matters for you. You're never going to have internal satisfaction that goes beyond your external circumstances. And so what you ought to do is, is accept Jesus as your Savior. Get on your knees, say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want some of that internal satisfaction and accept the gift of salvation that God has offered. Others of you have already accepted that gift and you need to say, what does God want me to do? And then you need to love people, love the hurting, and you need to do something for them. Not just say, oh, I love them, man. Yeah, the handicap, I really care. But actually, remember what James already said, if you just kind of know what to do, but don't do it, then you're just deceiving yourselves. You're never gonna have internal satisfaction. And so go do something for somebody that's hurting. And don't do it saying, hey, by the way, I'm really struggling, and so uh, I gotta come help you. So I just want to feel better. But do it with a heart of love and a heart that says, this is what God wants from me. And then you will find that external satisfaction that you want so badly. You can just go home and watch TV because it takes your mind off of things for a little bit. You can start doing drugs. You can try to rob people to make up for the bad bills that you have. Or you can pause and you can try to do the will of God and you can go help somebody. And only one of them is going to work. Promise. I, know, I just have known so many people. I'm just, I'm just venting now. But I've known so many people that life gets hard and all they do is look at how hard life is and they stare at how hard life is and they think about how hard life is and they end up playing video games all the time because for a brief moment or for a long moment in some of their cases, it takes their mind off of how hard life is. Other people just, most people, they just seem to just make it worse and worse. Like, oh, well, it's very hard. Life is very hard. And they never find the internal satisfaction that they want because they just look at their problems all the time. Go help somebody. That is the religion that God considers pure and faultless. And if you do it, you'll have satisfaction. And if you have satisfaction, I think you'll do the right things and you'll serve God and everything's going to work itself out at the end. Uh, will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this passage of scripture. It's, it's a good one. Um, it's just one of those passages, Lord, that uh, the book of James as a whole, God, uh, is one that just gets skipped over a lot. And we don't think about it. We don't talk about it. Um, but it's just ripe with powerful statements it's ripe with with just wisdom that that applies to our lives and god i pray that we would put this into practice i i look out lord and and i i pray for these people that sit in front of me god um i see the prayer requests i know the struggles and the hurts and the pain. God, I know that a lot of people that sit out in front of me have physical pain. It's, their bodies actually are hurting and, and they don't work like they should and, and they're sick or whatever, God. And, and, and I pray that they could find a way to just apply this and they would go out and help and i know some people got they just have relationship problems and they look at their families and their families are broken and they're not what they want them to be and and things are, are just broken and i pray that they could apply this this morning god and i know so many people in our church lord don't have jobs 
don't have jobs they like or they have stresses at their job that are difficult. And I pray that they would find a way to apply this, God, that they would apply this. Lord, I, I know that, that some people that, I, that are just out in front of me have just problems that are inside of them. Um, struggle with worry. They struggle with depression. They struggle with regret. They struggle, God, with just sadness. And I pray that they would find a way to apply this, Lord. You know, God, for each of these people in front of me that I love, that I care about, you know the struggles, the difficulties, the circumstances, the trials, the temptations, the frustrations. God, you know these things. And Lord, you also know the needs in our community. And God, you can see right now people that are not at church, that don't have a family of believers to gather with, that that are at home just needing help. And I pray from this sermon you would connect the hurting in our church, which is all of us in some ways, to the broken and the downcast, the underprivileged in our communities, Lord. Jesus, let us, let us be slow to fix things and quick to listen to you, and quick to apply your word, quick to help others. God, I pray that you would make this a church that doesn't wallow in our own problems, but seeks to change the world for the better one life at a time. I know we have that heart in this church, God, but sometimes we just get caught up in it. The things of life, we just get caught up. I pray we would not, we wouldn't, God, but we would serve you mightily. I pray these things in your name. Amen.